Welcome to the Falun Gong Story Channel, produced by the Falun Dafa Information Center. For more than 20 years, the Chinese Communist Party has been brutally persecuting tens of millions of people in China who practice the Buddhist-based spiritual practice called Falun Gong. This channel examines Falun Gong, why and how it's persecuted in China, and the global impact of the ongoing crisis. Today, we'll dive into the frequently asked question, why haven't I heard about this? If an authoritarian state launched a systematic campaign to imprison, brainwash, torture, and murder a population of over 100 million people, it should ring alarm bells around the world. And it did, but only for two short years before the bells were silenced. The Chinese Communist Party, CCP, has employed every authoritarian playbook tactic to coerce, incentivize, and puppeteer a broad range of individuals and institutions to look the other way and obey their doctrine. So now, today, despite our modern world being more interconnected than ever with phone videos and instant messaging, people are still largely kept in the dark, oblivious to this ongoing atrocity. How did we get here? To understand the full story, we must go back to the beginning, before our media outlets largely fell silent. In 1999, when the CCP first launched the campaign to eliminate the Buddhist-based spiritual practice known as Falun Gong, it made headline news around the world. In 1999 alone, the New York Times featured the violent campaign against Falun Gong on its cover on six separate occasions, including a top story about a secret press conference held by Falun Gong practitioners on the outskirts of Beijing. This early coverage was not in-depth, perhaps due to the fact that the spiritual practice was unfamiliar to most Western journalists, but it was covered frequently. During the following year, however, investigative reporters dug deeper, and throughout 2000, the Wall Street Journal ran a series of investigative articles exposing how Falun Gong practitioners were routinely imprisoned and tortured, sometimes to death, in China. And these articles won the journal, a Pulitzer for investigative journalism. In 2001, the Washington Post became the first major media outlet to break the news that Chinese officials had received explicit orders to torture and brainwash Falun Gong practitioners who did not abandon the faith. A reporter from the Post, Philip Pan, authored a pivotal expose of two of the participants in the self-immolation incident, a fake protest staged by the state media in Tiananmen Square in January 2001. The incident was scripted for the purpose of demonizing Falun Gong practitioners in the eyes of the Chinese public. Pan was the first to uncover evidence that the immolators were not Falun Gong practitioners at all, but rather actors used by the CCP state broadcast. Then-senior analyst for CNN Willie Lam also published an investigative piece in 2001 that accurately identified then-CCP leader Jiang Zemin as the driving force behind the entire persecution campaign, and how the politician had used the campaign as an excuse to further build up his own power. For two years, Western media reported the truth, but by 2002, the coverage fell off a cliff. What happened? It certainly wasn't for lack of evidence. 
For more than 20 years, the fact that millions of Falun Gong practitioners have been wrongfully imprisoned, tortured, or killed by Chinese authorities has been regularly documented in annual reports by human rights groups such as Freedom House and Amnesty International. Each year, the U.S. Department of State has listed human rights abuses against Falun Gong in its annual human rights reports to Congress, and Congress itself has passed five resolutions condemning the CCP's brutal campaign against Falun Gong. And yet, throughout all these years, the media has remained mostly silent. The self-censorship saga can be traced back to 2001 when New York Times publisher Arthur Selzberger traveled to China to meet with then-CCP leader Jiang Zemin, the man who single-handedly started the persecution. Within days, the New York Times website was unblocked in China and remained so for some time, and a team was established to build a Chinese-language edition of the New York Times. For the next two decades, the Times was suspiciously quiet on Falun Gong, even as rival media continued to cover the story for at least another year or two. Once the CCP realized Western media entities would bend the knee either for financial gain or out of fear of backlash, they grew more aggressive in leveraging their position. In 2001, Time magazine was pulled from every shelf in China after it published an article about Falun Gong's presence in Hong Kong. In 2007, Canada's national public broadcaster, the CBC, cancelled a scheduled documentary about Falun Gong after coming under pressure from the Chinese embassy. CBC held the broadcasting rights to the 2008 Beijing Olympics. In 2010, writer Peter Manso was working on a Falun Gong article for the Washington Post's Sunday magazine. His editors initially loved the idea and suggested it might run on the cover. Ten days after requesting a comment from the Chinese embassy, the Post's editors killed the story. Manso was paid the full fee for his article, and not the 30% that is typical for a story that is never run. During the same time period, the Post was lobbying the Chinese government to secure a visa for one of its reporters whom Chinese officials were reluctant to let into China due to previous work he had done years earlier. In 2014, a fictional story in the Australian edition of Reader's Digest featured a Falun Gong refugee as a secondary character. The Chinese printing firm refused to print the magazine until it censored the story, which it did. In 2018, Australian ABC cancelled an interview with former Miss World, Anastasia Lin, due to her affiliations. Miss Lin is a prominent campaigner for human rights in China and has been very outspoken against the persecution of Falun Gong. When pressed, a producer told Lin that the decision came from higher-ups. In 2019, former New York Times Beijing correspondent D.D. Kirsten Tatlau's testimony to the China Tribunal discussed how forced organ harvesting from Falun Gong practitioners did take place in China and that it was an open secret among transplant surgeons. And yet, she testifies that her editors at the New York Times actively discouraged her from reporting on this fact and in the end blocked her from pursuing any further investigations. Clearly, CCP pressure resulting in Western media silence exists, but what makes this possible? How could a foreign regime exert this much influence?
While one can argue that having media access to China is necessary for news outlets, and that the self-censorship is just part of the political dance to play nice with the regime for access, there could be more to it. An additional motive lies in the financial ties, which constitute a significant conflict of interest in many cases. According to Business Insider, six corporations control 90% of U.S. media outlets in America, mostly network TV and cable, and these corporations have massive business interests in China. For example, Disney, which owns ABC and several movie studios, has open theme parks in China. According to J.P. Morgan, the annual revenue of just the Shanghai Park alone before COVID-19 tops one billion. CNN's parent company has a $50 million partnership with a Chinese company overseen by the CCP. The parent company of MSNBC and NBC, NBC Universal, has inked a deal with China's state-run Xinhua news agency and China's leading tech giant Baidu. NBC Universal also has a stake in a Chinese media venture worth $3.8 billion. The pillars of our print media are equally compromised. The Boston Globe, New York Times, L.A. Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and others have billionaire majority owners with enormous business interests controlled by the CCP. And did you know? According to Financial Times, the CCP spends 10 billion each year on its external propaganda to audiences around the world. Major newspapers in America and other Western countries took in millions of dollars of advertising cost from the CCP for its China Daily insert in these papers. There are dozens of cases where the CCP has hosted Western journalists, editors, and publishers on elaborate trips to China, all paid for by the state. A 2020 report by the International Federation of Journalists cited several examples of reporters from foreign news outlets subsequently producing stories that faithfully echo Beijing's position on various sensitive issues after such trips. Whether they were bribed, honey-trapped, or simply enamored can only be speculated. But the fact remains that these trips compromise journalistic integrity. All this media influence has raised alarm bells in Congress, where members of both parties are newly attuned to Chinese foreign influence operations inside the United States. In short, significant, if not a majority, of revenue generated by some U.S. media outlets originate in China. And therefore, are subject to the authoritarian rules there. At the very least, this constitutes a huge conflict of interest. While the CCP buys the complacency of businessmen with a carrot, it simultaneously exerts pressure with a stick. The CCP carries out pressure tactics primarily through diplomatic channels, the Chinese diaspora, sister city relationships, as well as Western China scholars and businessmen who have vested interests in access to China. CCP pressure against Falun Gong is exerted from the highest levels. At an hour-long summit with then U.S. President Bill Clinton during APEC's 1999 meeting, Jiang Zemin made clear his concern that the U.S. show the quote correct attitude on the Falun Gong issue. Among the range of important issues discussed, only the Falun Gong issue was both raised directly by Jiang Zemin as well as documented in a book that Jiang gave to President Clinton himself. The Associated Press reported 
As China and the United States sought to mend recently damaged ties, President Jiang Zemin gave President Clinton an unusual gift: a book defending China's ban on a popular meditation sect, Falun Gong. The book's 150 pages in English is a relentless barrage of propaganda from China's entirely state-run media. Days after Condoleezza Rice took over as national security adviser in 2001, a meeting with her Chinese counterparts went off the rails fast. Expecting to cover important security topics, Rice and her team were instead bombarded with a 30-minute prepared speech vilifying Falun Gong. Frustrated, Rice's team finally asked the officials to leave their office. Western politicians who express any form of support for Falun Gong are targets. Members of U.S. Congress, as well as Canadian and European members of Parliament, have similarly been on the receiving end of a barrage of propaganda. Congressmen regularly report receiving phone calls, letters, magazines, and DVDs from embassy officials making rounds in Washington. These are sometimes accompanied by invitations for luxury official visits to Beijing. Along with standard phone calls, letters, and personal visits aimed at vilifying Falun Gong, documented pressure tactics include threats of action on trade, cultural or academic exchange programs, or a breakoff of sister city relations unless CCP demands are met. An article in the Wall Street Journal, written by Claudia Rosette, gives a sense of just how many arms have been twisted over Falun Gong. Even small town officials have not yet been spared. Mayor Randy Vopel of Southern California's Santee received a letter from the party's Los Angeles Consul General vilifying Falun Gong. Vopel wrote back, "Your letter personally chilled me to my bones." I was shocked that a communist nation would go to this amount of trouble to suppress what is routinely accepted in this country. I have the greatest respect for the Chinese people in your country and everywhere else in the world, but must be honest in my concern for the suppression of human rights by your government, as evidenced by your request. Mr. Volpel then issued a mayoral proclamation commending the Falun Gong. Recent reports by the New York Times, the Washington Post, and many others have exposed terrible human rights abuses against Uyghur Muslims and Hong Kong residents, among many others. In these areas, how many U.S. media outlets do not appear to censor their coverage, even though it exposes terrible abuses of power by the CCP? Why is the Falun Gong story different? Why is the CCP so dead set on burying the Falun Gong story? The short answer is this: Falun Gong has demonstrated an unprecedented capacity for exposing the true nature of the CCP to the world. There are a few key factors here to consider. First, Falun Gong is a spiritual movement ubiquitous in China, not limited by regional or ethnic boundaries. Before the persecution started in China, Falun Gong practitioners were everywhere. You could find them in virtually every park in cities, towns, and even small villages across the country. They came from all walks of life, from senior military leaders to homemakers, from university professors to rural farmers. The old, the young—it was impossible to separate the Chinese people from Falun Gong. As a spiritual practice rooted in ancient Chinese culture, the promotion and revival of traditional culture threatened CCP culture ideologically, whose history is checkered with systematically destroying traditional culture in order to supplant it with its Marxist ideals. 
The CCP is a foreign communist ideology, and Falun Gong's very existence and popularity sowed jealousy and CCP paranoia as it questions the CCP's legitimacy of representing these Chinese people and their Chinese culture. Second, the CCP is used to being able to destroy any group it targets. Student protesters, as recently as 1989, were massacred and run over by tanks in Tiananmen Square. This was made possible in part because the tank drivers were told that the students were conspiring with Western forces and must be stopped by any means necessary in order to save the country. With Falun Gong, however, this age-old tactic of demonizing the target group did not play out as the CCP would have hoped. Falun Gong persisted despite persecution and state media onslaughts. When the nationwide persecution policy began, not only did Falun Gong practitioners not give up, but rather they mobilized nonviolent grassroots efforts to expose the CCP's lies and wrongdoing sprung up all across China in what would become the largest civil disobedience movement in the world. For the past two decades, millions of Falun Gong practitioners across China set up small print operations in their homes, creating and delivering by hand pamphlets to every corner of China. This underground news dissemination effort countered the state-run media and opened the Chinese people's eyes to the full deception of the ruling regime. Nowadays, it's common knowledge to the Chinese public that the state media spouts lies, but there was a time when the state media was gospel. A similar effort has unfolded outside China, where Falun Gong practitioners have established Chinese-language media outlets that broadcast into China via satellite and shortwave radio. Established human rights projects tapped into the largest information network across China, and have been instrumental in creating software to bypass the firewall. In short, Falun Gong has grown to become the largest whistleblower about the CCP's crimes, and that has made it the number one target of the CCP's repression across China and around the world. It is the most sensitive and tightly sealed-off topic for the CCP's censorship apparatus. Consequently, throughout the democratic world, elected officials, business leaders, professors, and journalists have been targeted by the CCP, and tragically, some have bowed to that pressure. Becoming complicit in maintaining silence over what many legal experts have termed the genocide of Falun Gong. This is why, for almost twenty years, the true story about Falun Gong and what is really happening inside China has remained largely out of the media. To learn more about the Falun Gong story, what is really happening inside China, and the impact around the world, please visit our website at falluninfo.net. We encourage you to share this podcast with friends and family, and we thank you for listening.